you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. I wasn't sure if we have a, a Spanish reading today. I guess we don't. That's all right. That's all right. Okay. Let's pray together, because we need God's help, don't we? Jesus, we're asking that you would be present here. It's an amazing thing that you, having spoken these words 2,000 years ago, can also be very present even now to help us to understand what you meant the first time. We need your help because we're prone to resist you. That's just our inclination as weak sinners. Help us, Savior. And we pray that you would give us grace to change from the inside out, impact our hearts, our lives, renew our relationships, first and foremost, our relationship with you. We're asking great things of you during this time, the next few minutes. We expect great things from you because you're a God of great glory and great power. Send your power, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus here is teaching us how to fight. Teaching us how to fight. Do you realize, dear friends, that how you handle conflict in your relationships is one of the best ways that you can come to see and understand whether you are getting the grace of God. Whether the kingdom of God is alive and flourishing in your heart in your life, extending from within, touching down into real life, real circumstances. You can tell a lot by how we handle conflict. And that's why Jesus here is in the middle of this teaching that we looked at this week and today, last week and this week, today. This teaching where he's talking about this incredible kingdom, this power of renewal of the whole world, of all things that he has sent into the world through his son is touching down, 
is entering into these broken places, including the broken relationships that you and I have. Last week, we looked at the question, what do you do when you wrong or hurt or sin against other people? And we looked at the way that Jesus talked about the necessity of humbling ourselves before others, of repenting of our sin, of honestly saying, by all accounts, and when I'm honest with my own heart, I'm a worse sinner than you are. The chief of sinners, in fact. Because our inclination is always to believe that the other person has got a bigger problem than me. Jesus says, take the big fat old tree log out of your eye before you start meddling with the little speck or splinter in the other person's eye. Today, we're looking at the other side. What do you do when others wrong or hurt or sin against you? We're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus points us first to the process of forgiveness. What you might call the process of forgiveness. You see the different words and commands that are sprinkled throughout this passage. Verse 36, he says, be merciful. This word that actually means literally to relieve another person's suffering. In this case, because of what they've done wrong to you. Perhaps even suffering that they might even Deserve a little bit. We'll come back to that. Verse 37, Jesus says, judge not, condemn not, stop appointing yourself the moral judge of all people and all things and rendering verdicts, guilty, guilty, innocent, always, isn't that right? Righteous, but you, guilty. And of course, in verse 37, also this word, Forgive. The New Testament actually uses a whole host of ancient words to talk about the forgiveness. But the word that Jesus uses here literally means release. As in releasing a prisoner. What Jesus is telling us that forgiveness entails is something like this. I want you to picture in your head a person that you have recently or maybe for a long time struggled to forgive. Someone that maybe's wronged you in a small way or a big way. A long time ago or just a few minutes ago. And I want you to picture this person being put by you in a prison cell. You're sticking them behind bars. You're tying them down. They may deserve to be there. You see, that's why this metaphor, this picture is helpful. They've done wrong against you. They may actually deserve to pay the price for their wrongs. See, first, you understand, friends, forgiving isn't just simply excusing people. It's not just brushing bad things under the rug. It's not just winking at sin and evil. It's not just simply being nice or tolerant for the bad things that people do as if they've never done anything wrong. Forgiveness is very, very honest about evil. Neither is forgiving simply forgetting 
A lot of us have this notion of forgiveness in our minds. Let's just forgive and forget. And I haven't really forgiven until I've forgotten. As if you need to pretend like you weren't hurt. Now see, this picture of a prison shows that sometimes there is an issue of justice. Sometimes the person does deserve to be punished because they really have done wrong. What forgiving then is, is releasing that person from moral and emotional prison in your heart, in your relationship, in your dynamic. This is a choice you are making where you are learning to say to them, look, I do in fact have the right to punish you for what you have done. I do. But I won't because Jesus had the right to punish me but didn't when I did far more and far worse against him. I do have the right to punish you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to let you go and walk free. Dear friends, who are you putting in prison today? Who is it in your life that you're refusing to release? Or maybe who is hardest right now for you to set free from your emotional bondage over them? It might be individuals in our lives, roommates, friends, spouses, bosses, children. And I was thinking about children this week. It's an interesting thing. You know, some of us parents, or maybe even those of you that work with kids, are holding a grudge against kids and you don't even realize it. That's why you're so mad all the time. You got to forgive children. Have you done that lately if you work with them? Sometimes it's individuals. Sometimes it's groups of people. Maybe it's a political party that's just making you mad. Maybe it's a certain racial group that's wounded you in the past. Maybe you're someone that's looking at people that you call rich, however you define that. And you're telling them in your heart, you're the reason why I am the way I am and the way my life is the way it is. Sometimes it's a big one-time incident where you've been through something devastating. I know some of you have wounded, bruised, still picking up the pieces. Maybe harsh words that still replay in your mind. Something that was said to you maybe even decades ago. Maybe it was physical harm, maybe even emotional abuse. Sometimes it's a big one-time thing. Sometimes it's the little repeated things, right? The dude you got in prison is the repeat offender. Usually the person you spend the most time with might be a spouse, a friend, a roommate, a family member, you know, death by flea bite. They're driving you nuts. And maybe you excuse it because you know in your heart, it's not a big deal. Not any one of those individual things against you the sarcastic comment they're always making, the way that they're sort of tearing off your head all the time, the way they don't think about you when they're living in your home and doing what they do. But it's the cumulative stuff that so often creates our deepest resentment, isn't it? Sometimes it's people we know well. Sometimes it's a stranger or neighbor. Oh, does not our neighborhood need this message of forgiveness? 
Do not our neighborly relations need power from God to forgive and to reconcile? Sometimes it's strangers. Sometimes it's the people that are closest to you. As a poet, William Blake once put it, sometimes it is easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. Sometimes it is. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know that well. And maybe some of you are saying, but what if I just don't feel like forgiving? Okay, I'm hearing you. I hear that I need to do this or I ought to at least, but what if I just don't feel like it? Well, understand what Jesus is telling us and what the Bible tells us is that forgiveness, first and foremost, is a promise that you make. Forgiveness is a promise. Yes, when we forgive, we need to bring our hearts. It's why in places throughout the passage, Jesus does use words like love, bless, Pray for people, your enemies, people that harm you, who hurt you. Yes, we do need to engage feelings, but forgiveness is more than a feeling. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. First and foremost, it's a promise, a commitment not to keep imprisoning the other person and throwing away the key. Really helpful book on this topic, written by an author by the name of Ken Sand, but called The Peacemaker. And in that, he describes helpfully four promises that a person makes when they are forgiving someone. What are they? Number one, it's the promise that I will not dwell on this incident. So I'm not going to keep on replaying the video of what you've done in my head, in my heart. I'm not going to keep on thinking about it and making myself more mad, right? You don't even realize you're doing that sometimes and you are. Number one, I will not dwell on this incident. Number two, I will not bring up this incident and use it against you. You know, the way we kind of never let the person forget, kind of slide it in there sometimes as a half joke, right? We kind of want to make sure they know that you remember it and they're feeling it but where you're off the hook from actually having thrown it back in their face, things that we do that way, or maybe pouting, sort of a passive-aggressive thing, right? You're not really saying anything, but you're just sort of walking around. That, that's one of my favorites, right? I do this to Paula all the time, right? Pouting and brooding and just sort of kicking the ground and walking around. No, Promise number two is I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. And I'm not going to gossip about what happened and what you did. I'm not going to spread word about it, nor am I going to kind of use you or another person as a listening ear, right? Where it's sort of like I'm pretending to need your advice, but really I just want to talk to you. And let you know about what this person did to me, right? That kind of thing. Number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Four promises that you make when you forgive. Sometimes we grant forgiveness first and we feel forgiveness later. But the first step in forgiving another person is to make that promise, that commitment. And you can understand then, it's a process. 
It's a process, not just a one-time event. Sometimes you got to do it again and again and again. Some people get frustrated, even give up on the whole enterprise of forgiveness because you say to yourself, I thought I forgave them a long time ago. What's going on? I realize I'm still angry. I thought I did it before. The answer is you probably did. Maybe you did, but now you got to do it again. Recommit, repromise, regive yourself to the hard labor of forgiving one another. A little bit on the process of forgiveness. Number two here, Jesus also gives us the power to forgive. The power to forgive. How do we forgive like this? And Jesus, of course, gives us the key. And the key is this, knowing how much you yourself have been forgiven by God. Because you ain't going to forgive nobody until you know that you have been forgiven yourself. The most important verse in this entire passage, verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful to you. That we know and we're coming to understand by God's grace that we are evil and ungrateful in our hearts. Words that Jesus uses. That we're full of sin. The ways that we don't even acknowledge God. Maybe you're someone saying, what did I do to God? I don't even know him. I don't even spend any time with him, let alone offend him. Don't you know that apathy and indifference for someone that's given themselves to you so generously, whether you acknowledge it or not, is one of the greatest forms of offense and hatred. For someone to pour themselves out, giving you gift after gift after gift, and you just give them the silent treatment. Dear friend, if you're just getting to know this question about God and even how to ask it, would you consider that you too need the mercy of God? And friends, that we would understand that God is the one who has taken every single one of our sins, both the ones that you're aware of today and the ones that you have no clue about. And he's released you from prison because he threw his own son into the prison of hell for you. In your place, as your and my substitute. This is a God who had every right to judge you, and yet he judged himself in your place. A God who had every right to condemn you, and yet he condemned himself on the cross of Jesus. Justice had to be served, and it was on the head of God who stood in your place as your representative before the court of heaven. And this then flows to you as God's forgiveness. He remembers your sin no more, past, present, and future, so that you can stand boldly before God, before one another, before yourself, and say with all confidence, I am clean. Don't you want to say that? I am clean. Amen? 
the confession of your heart if you're starting to take in the grace of God, which then melts our cold and hard hearts, our arrogant hearts that are so resistant against this idea of forgiving someone that harmed us. Don't you see the person that refuses to forgive is the person who's refused to receive the full power of the forgiveness of God for them. Unforgiving people are always themselves unrepentant people. And people that struggle to humble themselves before the throne of grace. Here's the principle. You can't forgive others any more than you see God has forgiven you. And when this starts to happen in your life, you start to get power, not just to forgive, but more to love in radical ways, power to love. Did you notice what Jesus says in the beginning of this passage, verse 27 and on? Don't just forgive, give. Go the extra mile. Now we're getting crazy. I mean, it is hard enough to set this person free, right? You want to bash their heads in, or maybe you already are in your heart. Strangle them. Whatever your thing is, I won't ask. You know, I know what the picture is in my head. I don't know what it is for you. That's hard enough. Jesus goes one step further into the realm of the utterly impossible. And he says, don't just forgive. Love your enemies. Don't just make it a cold legal transaction. I could crush you, but I'm not, but you're not in my life. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't let us go there, does he? You got to love. Love your enemies. Okay, okay, don't retaliate. But here he says no more than that. Do good to those who hate you. Okay, okay, don't wish bad things upon them. Jesus says, no, bless those who curse you. In other words, wish good things upon their life. I was thinking about this this week. That that one is probably the hardest one for me. It's not just that you're serving them or you're just giving good things to them or maybe you're just... You actually are rooting for the person. And especially before the presence of God, he says, pray for them too. So not only am I doing my part in promoting their well-being, I'm now asking the God of the universe, the Savior of sinners and the giver of all good gifts, to pour out blessing upon their lives. It's impossible, isn't it? And Jesus is intentionally pushing us to that place isn't he? Way beyond our human limits, which is exactly what he's getting at in verse 32 to 34, when he says, look, what's the big deal if you're nice to people that are nice to you? Everybody does that. You don't need supernatural help for that. What's the big deal if you're kind to people that are kind in return, if you give to people that are going to scratch your back too? It doesn't cost you anything. 
In fact, those are the exact kind of relationships we love, where it's always a wonderfully zero-sum game. I'll give a little bit, look like I'm sacrificing and forgiving, but in the end, I'm doing it because you're going to do the same for me. Jesus says, no, I'm asking you to give, to forgive, to love, to serve, even when you're going to get nothing in return. So you can't be motivated by any selfish intent and that you can only give out of the richness of your heart that has been so filled by a God who has done exactly this for you. A God who has not only forgiven you of your debts in Jesus, if you've embraced him, but he loved you with a deep affection and compassion. A God who not only counted you as not guilty, but now gives you the righteousness of his son and sees you as perfectly good and perfectly loving and perfectly obedient, having done all things that Jesus did when he walked this earth, his perfect moral account of love and justice now counts as yours. The gospel of righteousness by faith. A God who doesn't just simply forgive the ungrateful and the evil, but he does you good. That even before you know him, even before you acknowledge him, even before you confess your sins to him, he's already blessing your life. And a God who takes those who were his former enemies and gives you a new relationship. Where he can be called, as Jesus calls him, your father. Where you're a child where you can have that kind of intimacy, that kind of access to power and protection and provision from the God of the universe, who's now your daddy. Who's a God like this one that would give himself to sinners like you and me? A God who not only forgives and loves, but who continually, even now, prays over you. Jesus, who we're told in the book of Hebrews, right now, if you are in him and in relationship with him, is praying for you with that kind of detailed care. So here you have it, a God who forgives, a God who loves, a God who has loved you, his former enemy, a God who has done good to you even when you haven't acknowledged him because we're ungrateful and evil. Jesus tells us. A God who prays over us, our Savior, who roots for us, cares for us. If this is who He is to you, does it not start to unlock our hearts to do the same for others? So here's the bottom line. Do you, dear friends, know today how much your God has forgiven you? And if you don't, do you want to? Are you hungry to? Would you pray that God would show that to you? Do you know how much your God has forgiven you?
Because once you see that in a fresh and powerful way and experience it again, then you will find secret power from the Spirit of God to forgive those who have wronged you. Even when it's again and again and again and again and again. The Apostle Paul says in similar words in Ephesians 4, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Theologian Miroslav Volf wrote this, When forgiveness happens, it is always a miracle of grace. Ain't that the truth? I don't know what it is in your life today that you need power for forgiveness for. What relationship you have in mind. What long-term or short-term or repeated thing in your life that you are having a hard time bringing to God. Let's pray that God would give you and me Today, even now, a miracle of his grace. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're trusting in you to be true to your promise. And we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your kindness to us, your forgiveness, your patience, that you've canceled our debt of sin against you. You've loved us. Oh, Jesus, how could we repay you? How could we live for you? How could we not rejoice in you? And in that rejoicing, give us power to forgive one another. Show us how to do that. Please show us. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing about this love.